This morning we're going to talk about prayer. So I'll just start by asking, how is your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How satisfied are you with your prayer habits? During this series, we've been calling it Before All Things. It's kind of coming out of Colossians, out of the first chapter of Colossians and, and, and further. I just kind of like to start by reading these few verses in Colossians. So if you read them with me, Colossians, not read them aloud with me, but I'll read them for us. One seventeen, Colossians one seventeen. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then Colossians 1.18 says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then Colossians 3.1-2, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In other words... We ought to be intentionally seeking to put Christ before all things because he is before all things in time and in preeminence. It's true, he is before all things, so we ought to seek him. We ought to purposely put him and place him before all things in every area of our life. I think prayer may be the most blatant thing that we're called to do as we set Jesus before all things in our lives. And today, maybe through all time, um, It often isn't. And so we'll consider how our prayer life really looks in light of what the Scripture calls us to. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for gathering your people together to to make Jesus known, to remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Lord, and and I pray that we would be proclaiming Christ to one another and we'd be glorifying you and worshiping you together. Like, bind us together as we worship you, as we remember the good news. I pray this morning that as I speak and as we sing and as we uh, respond together, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that you would say to each one of us what you want said, that you would have each heart hear what it needs to hear to make Jesus known. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's nights at our house, not every night, doesn't always go like this. But there's evenings in our house where like the kids are playing and making all kinds of racket in the living room or the playroom or everywhere at one time, however they do that. Uh, and we'll be making dinner and then we'll take the, the plates to go put them on the dining room table. I mean, it's just like so much racket in our house, right? And I'll just kind of, I'm going to try to get all the plates on the dinner table and then we'll all get there. So I'll just kind of set it on the dinner table. And then like all the noise stops in the house and they just like, come running to the table, like as fast as they can, ah, you know, and uh, they get to the table and they just start going, and so a few minutes later, Claire and I will get our uh, meals together and we'll kind of come into the, to the dining room and sit with them, they'll already be there goofing off, laughing, probably screaming and bickering at each other and eating their food already, and I'll sit down and I'll say, hey, did we already pray, did somebody pray yet, who wants to pray? And they kind of, I mean, eventually somebody will volunteer to pray, but it's usually pretty dodgy. They're like, oh, <laughs> trying to stuff in some mac and cheese or something real quick. Um, eventually somebody comes around, but we all know the feeling, right? Like when I was younger, we used to like get, we'd like go out to eat with a youth group or something, and we'd all like stick our thumbs up on the table. And whoever was the last one to put their thumbs up had to pray, right? It kind of like reinforced some idea that prayer is drudgery, and we have to do it, but you know, you only do it if, you're, if you lose. 
I don't want to make my kids hate prayer. I don't want to reinforce that idea. But I do want us to practice putting Jesus before everything in prayer, not even before our meal, right? Like I said, I think prayer might be the most blatant thing we're called to do as we practice setting Jesus before all things in our lives. And it might be the most, port- most important, and it might be the thing that we ought to be doing first and seeking to put him before all things, but I fear it's actually usually one of the last things that we do. If you've ever heard of Dallas Willard, he's one of my heroes. He wrote this. He says, the open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that a a vanishingly small percentage of those talking about prayer and Bible reading are actually doing what they're talking about. See, I don't just fear it. I don't just fear that prayer is one of the last things we do, though, because Dallas Willard said so, and because it kind of is an open secret that we all know is true. I, I fear that that's the truth because of my own experience with prayer, right? Like, I know how much I personally love prayer. I love the idea of prayer. I love to pray. I, I, I've read a lot of books on prayer. I know how many I've read. I know how much I long for our church to be known as a church of prayer. I know how many significant experiences I've personally had in prayer, because I've spent like the late, really late night hours praying and pleading with God in some direction, asking him for answers. I felt my heart change in an instant while I'm praying. And in prayer, I've felt like I've come to know God. And in prayer, I've come to feel like I'm known by God. And God's answered me in prayer. He's answered me yes. He's answered me no. He's answered me otherwise. I know my experience in prayer, and I know how I love prayer, but I also know how much I struggle to be continuous in prayer, if I'm honest. Like, I know me, and I know how forgetful I am of all the good things that I've found in prayer. I know the temptation to ignore the spiritual discipline of prayer, and I know that once I ignore it once, it's harder, to do, it's harder not to ignore it the second time, and after I've ignored it a few more times, it's almost impossible to start again. It just gets more and more difficult to pray. I know how it can seem extremely taxing. I no matter how much I've prayed or for how long, I never feel like I've done enough or like I've crossed all the things off the list or got to all the people I was supposed to pray for or all the things I was supposed to pray for. So the reason I fear that prayer is one of the last things we do when it should be the first Because if this is the case with me, no matter how broken I am in comparison with anybody else, I know it must be the case with many, if not most, of us that we struggle to be continuous in prayer. E.M. Bounds was a pastor and an author just right up the road in Washington, Georgia. I believe he's buried there. And he wrote extensively on prayer, and he said this. He says, prayer is a humbling work. It abases intellect and pride. It crucifies vainglory and signs our spiritual bankruptcy. And all these are hard for the flesh and blood to beat. It's easier not to pray than to bear them. So we come to one of the crying evils of these times and maybe all times. That is little or no praying. And of these two evils, perhaps little praying is worse than no praying. Because little praying is a kind of make-believe, a salve for the conscience, a farce, and a delusion. And if Ian Bounds is right, if we are led to little or no prayer, and if little prayer is actually worse than no prayer because it makes us believe something that's not true, it makes us believe that we're praying sufficiently, 
If he's right, and I think he's right, then what should we say? What do we do? How is your prayer life? What does it actually look like? Is it constant and continuous or is it non-existent? Is it consistent or not so much? Is it existent but with like very little quality and quantity time, like you just kind of pray some? What kind of fruit is being born out of your prayers? Those are the questions we'll ask this morning. Let's look at the scripture and how it calls us to prayer. In Colossians, uh, Paul writes a lot about prayer. There's a lot of prayers mentioned a lot. So I'm just going to read several verses real quick. In Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul starts out a lot of his uh, letters this way, but he says this in 1 verse 3, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Then he goes on in 1, 9, says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then a couple chapters over, chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open, us, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then in chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. There's three things that I want us to see from these passages this morning about prayer and about uh, as we look to, to Jesus, to set, put Jesus before all things in prayer and what we're called to. And the three things are this, that we ought to be continuous in prayer, that we ought to be watchful in prayer, and that we are united so the first point, continuous in prayer. We are to be continuous in prayer. We're called to be continuous in prayer because it is where we find strength. It places us in a position, prayer places us in a position of dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read Colossians 4.2 again. It's been on my heart. Colossians 4.2 has been on my heart since last year, Christmas, when we went through Colossians during Advent and kind of like took it into the new year. And the first two points this morning, continuous in prayer and watchful in prayer, come directly from there. And this is what it says. It just says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul Miller, writer, he says this. If you're not praying, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. See, when we pray continuously, we demonstrate a dependence on God that places Jesus before all things. And when we don't pray, we're proclaiming in our actions that we don't actually need God, that we've got this. And the Apostle Paul got it, right? While he suffers and he strives to reach people with the gospel and to raise them up as disciples and to present them mature before Christ, he's also aware that he can't do it by his own power. He's dependent. Christ and on the Holy Spirit. He also knows that the Colossians are the same way, that the church, and, uh, the church of the Colossians are the same way, and that we are all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We can't live the Christ-centered life by our own strength. It's just not possible. 
we, if we could, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. That's why he continues in Colossians 4, 2 through 4. After telling them to continue in prayer steadfastly and being watchful in thanksgiving, he says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He asks for their prayers in return, and he is praying for them because he knows that we depend totally on the work of the Spirit in and through us. We are weak. That's just the truth. We're weak. Whatever we do apart from Jesus, whatever we do apart from the Holy Spirit will will just be for us. It'll be to make us known to other people, not to make God known to other people. And the truth is we're so weak that we don't even have the strength and ability to pray as we should pray. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit to complete our prayers. Paul talks about this in Romans. He says it in Romans 8.26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're called to be continuous in prayer because it's where we find our strength. It places us in a position of dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit. It places Jesus in the position of first. It places Jesus in the position in our lives of before all things. So what aren't you praying for? What aren't you praying about? Work? Do you not need them there? School? Romantic relationships? Lack of romantic relationships? Friends? Money? Time? Talents, kids, what aren't you praying about? What aren't you praying for? You really got it on your own? Are you sure you don't need them? The second thing that we are called to in prayer, first is continuous. The second is that we are called to be watchful in prayer because it's how we stay alert to how we'd be led away from God. Paul charges the Colossians. I'm just going to go right back to it. Colossians 4.2. He charges the Colossians. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We talked about thanksgiving and, and gratefulness at the beginning of this series. But what does it mean to be continuous in prayer and be watchful in prayer? Look at what Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 28. He says, Him, that's Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, Paul is saying that the work that he does, the work of spreading the gospel and making disciples and trying to reach as many people as he can is in order to present everyone mature in Christ. This is the whole goal of the work for Paul, presenting disciples mature in Christ. Now look at four, chapter 4, verse 12. We're flipping up to the end of the book. We just read it. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, Epaphras, he's the church planter of the church in Colossae. And now he's with Paul, and he knows that there's actually people back home. There's people back home who are preaching and teaching that there's more to the story than what they've proclaimed, that there's a secret knowledge that people got to get in on, a mystery, an inside track, something you've got to get in on in order to really get to God. 
They're being bombarded with the lies, the same lies that Satan like hissed in the Garden of Eden with Eve and Adam. Basically saying, you think you know God, but you don't know God. Not yet. You need the inside scoop. And if you want the inside scoop, you've got to eat the forbidden fruit. And then you'll be in on what God's not letting you in on. They're getting those same type of lies back in Colossae. And so Epaphras struggles in prayer on their behalf. To what end? That they would be fully assured in the will of God, mature and presentable before God. See, Paul, who's already said he's praying continuously for them, and Epaphras, they both know that prayer is how we stay alert to the dangers. It's how we stay alert to the snake, to the wolves, to those things and those people who would take us down, that would stop us from growth, that would lead us astray from the good news of Jesus. Prayer is how we stay alert because it's where we stay plugged in to the Holy Spirit whose job it is to make Christ known in us and in others and to the world. It's where we stay plugged into the Holy Spirit so we can discern the truth from the lies, knowing the Scripture is important as well. But when we stay connected to our Father in prayer, we know Him. We know Him. We're spending time with Him. We know Him. We get to know Him. It's like if somebody started spreading rumors and lies about you that weren't true. They started spreading rumors and lies about you that weren't true. Who would you turn to? Where would you go? Your best friends? Your parents? Your spouse? You'd probably turn to whoever it is that you spend the most time with, whoever knows you the best and who could speak for your character, whoever it is that you spend time with and could be a good alibi, who knows where you have been. They know your whereabouts. They know what you're up to. So it is for us in prayer. We stay close to God. We know God. We get to know him. And knowing him and knowing his character, we also then know the lies when we hear them. Because, well, you know what's not true about him. We can stand against our enemy when he hisses those lies because we know that God has been totally honest with us about what reality really is. Is We know that because he came and he lived in our reality. And he died for us so that death wouldn't be our ultimate reality. So Paul calls us to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving so that we stay dependent on him in prayer and that we keep our eyes set on him in prayer so that we're able to discern all that would try to lead us away from Jesus, from all that would try to take his place is first and before all things. Do you know how the enemy wants nothing more than to lull you to sleep and lull you away from putting Christ first so that he can destroy you? Are you awake? Are you watchful? Do you have your eyes on Christ? Do you have your eyes on Christ above all and before all by spending time with him in prayer and knowing him? Lastly, we're called to be united in prayer. We're called to praying together and we're called to prayer together because it reminds us of and it acts on our unity that is found in Christ alone. Paul begins the letter with talk of how he prays for the Colossians. Like I read already, but we'll read it again. Chapter 1, verse 3. 
we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then one nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then later in four, two through four, where we are hanging out this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am imprisoned, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. N.T. Wright says that for Paul, for Paul to ask the Colossian church to pray for him is to bind them to him with ties of mutual obligation. They have never seen him face to face. They've never met Paul face to face. But once you have prayed for someone, and once you realize they are praying for you as well, a bond grows up which creates a relationship of love and trust ahead of any personal contact. Look, those, who, those of us in the room who know and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are children of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're family. Like, it's not just a picture. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. He's our father. 1 Peter 2.10 says that we are God's people. Several years ago, I read a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. It's, in, it's impacted me significantly. But Lewis writes in his book to his friend Malcolm about the idea that our prayers are gathered with all the prayers of all the saints, even those who have gone before us, right? And he talks about how he has, uh, about the idea that all our prayers are gathered with all the prayers of the saints, even those who are gone, and he talks about how he's taken that idea and has learned, he calls, he says the word festoon, but he says he's learned to festoon that idea around hallowed be thy name when he prays that in the Lord's Prayer. Right, So that when he prays, he remembers how his prayers are united with the prayers of others, other saints. And he says this, he says, I sometimes have a bright dream of reunion engulfing us unawares like a great wave from behind our backs. In other words, all the prayers of the saints, those with us and those behind us who've gone before us, who've ever lived, all their prayers join with ours like a wave as together they approach the throne of God. That's the idea in his head. And I've always thought it was a beautiful image. And I don't use it with hallowed be thy name. But when I read that, for some reason, it struck me that the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, starts with the words, our Father. It starts with the words, our Father, not my Father. Right? And so now I open prayer with our Father very purposely. Because it reminds me that I'm not praying alone. I'm united with my brothers and sisters. I'm united with you and with all others who are in Christ as I pray. We pray for unity pretty often around Redemption Church. It's one of the things listed in your bulletin. That, you, that we ask that you just continually pray even through the week and that you pray together. We pray for it often. And I believe... There may be no other place that we experience the unity of Christ like we do as we pray together. Because when we're there, we're there together as children of God. As we declare the good news that we once were not a family, but now we are God's family. We declare that simply in our act of praying together. 
We can pray together even when we're not together, right? Just as we see taking place in Colossians, we pray for one another. We pray in turn for one another. And by realizing that our prayers together are reaching our Father. I think it's kind of like when one of my kids wants candy or something else like that. It's pretty easy for me to tell them no. It really is. I can tell them no, especially about candy in a heartbeat because I don't think it's good for them. That's beside the point. Um, But when they come, it's pretty easy for me to tell them no. But if they gang up on me, if they gang up, it doesn't take anything. Like once they all gang up on me, they win. It's pretty easy to win. So brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, church, family of God, Like, let's go ask our dad together. Let's go ask our father together, praying together continually and watchfully and with thanksgiving. Throughout this series, we've been asking the question of how we are marked by Jesus so that others can see him. I think that's kind of an odd thing to ask with prayer, which Jesus says to go do in a closet where nobody can see you. But I think that a life marked by prayer bears fruit that marks us as his so that others can see whose we are. So the question is, how are you putting Jesus before all things in prayer? We're called to set our minds on things above. We're called to continuous, watchful, united prayer. Are you praying like that? Are you making prayer a priority and a habit so that we are always in touch with our Father, and so that we know Him. I ask those questions, and I know that the answer for many or most is simply no. Not to that extent. For this reason, that reason, prayer simply isn't a priority. We struggle with it from time to time, or maybe always. I've struggled lately in prayer myself. So I'm not preaching this message and questioning your prayer life to make you feel guilty. I want you to know that. I'm not laying prayer on you as a burden, something to be done so that you can stand before God as righteous. That's not the idea. Our words don't even have the power to do that. Our words don't have the power to make us stand before God as righteous. Only the blood of Jesus can present us as holy. And according to Colossians 1, he's already done that. What I'm doing this morning is I'm calling us together to wake up, to remember what we have been called to and why. It's not about a religious duty. It's about knowing God and being known by God. It's about keeping our eyes on things above. It's about putting Jesus before all things in our lives. In our missional community, over the summer we read through Paul Miller's book. I I actually quoted from a little while ago. His book is called A Praying Life. We went through that this summer, and I'd encourage you to read it. It's a good book. He says this also. He says, our failure to pray will always feel like something else, a lack of discipline or too many obligations. But when something is important to us, we make room for it. That's true, right? When something's important to us, we make room for it. And so we just got to ask, like, if we're awake, is prayer a priority for you? Are you making space to spend time with our Father? Do you realize how important it is in order that you can make it a priority? Do you know the dangers that are out there? Do you really know how the enemy wants nothing more than to lull you away 
from putting Jesus first. He wants to destroy you. What don't you pray about? What don't you pray for? Is it possible that you don't pray for it because you're actually convinced that you don't need him in those areas of life? And if you struggle with prayer simply because you feel like you don't know how to pray, maybe you felt like you did know how to pray and now you just can't seem to get going, or maybe you feel like you've never been taught or you just don't know how to even do it because it seems weird. I get that. Sometimes I struggle with it too. So I just recommend a couple ways. I put them in your bulletin in the discussion questions. You can follow a couple models. One is Acts, like the book of the Bible, A-C-T-S. Stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And you can just think through that model as you pray. You can come before our Father and say, our Father. And then you can spend some time adoring him, speaking truths back to him about who he is and what he's done. Then you can move into a time of confession, see, where you're, you've, you've, you've recognized who he is. Now you recognize your own condition before him and you confess your sin. T, thanksgiving, thanking him for how Jesus has worked on, be, on your behalf, who has made a way for you to enter in, who has made a way for you to be in the family of God. And supplication, S, making requests known to our Father who wants to hear our requests. And the other model is the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You could simply start by reading the Lord's Prayer. You can read a line and then add your own prayer on the end of it. But you could follow that. If you don't know how and you don't know where to start, that's a couple ways to start. But the good news this morning is that no matter how much we stumble through prayer, how much we don't know about prayer, how much we are just learning how to do it, the good news is the curtain of the temple that kept us out of the place of God, has been torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. And nothing is keeping us from entering in to talk with God our Father. Not only that, there's more good news. Because when we falter, when we don't know what to say, when we stumble, he's lifting us up and going before us in prayer. Let's go back to that Romans 8.26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So are you praying? Don't not pray because you don't know how. Don't not pray because it's a struggle. Try. Try to talk to him. He wants to spend time with you so much that he will, he'll do it on your behalf. He has done it on your behalf. We're going to enter into a time of response. As we do each Sunday, we're going to do things a little bit different uh, this morning. But during this time of response, the band will come and they'll play for us and, uh, and lead us into worship through music and we'll sing and adore God through the music and confess to God through it. The time where you can pray where you are and reflect, pray together uh, as, as well. It's a time where we worship through giving. There's an offering uh, plate at the back where you can give your tithes and offerings in obedience to, to, to God. But we also know that a lot of people don't carry checkbooks and stuff with them anymore, so you can also give online through our web, website, redemptionchurchga.com, right from your phone. Um, and then every Sunday we also uh, take this time to take communion together, and so there'll be servers, and the band will, or the servers will come up, and we'll come down these two aisles. As a matter of fact, I said we're going to do something different, and I didn't go over this with anybody. Sorry. The servers, if you could go on ahead and come up, and if the band could go ahead and line up for communion, that would be great.
Um, we're just, just bear with me. But each Sunday we come and we take communion. Uh, you can come down these two aisles. The servers will be at each table. We come and we take the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice, representing the body and the blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. And when we do it, we are remembering Christ, that he is who he said he is, and that he's done what he said he would do, and that he's torn the veil, and he's made a way for us to enter in and to be part of God's family, to be children of God. And so we remember it, and we proclaim it to one another in our actions. So if you're a Christian, whether you go to redemption or a member here or not, we invite you to come and take with us and remember and proclaim him together. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not come just because you can't proclaim that. We don't want to leave you out or anything like that. We just want you to hear the proclamation that we are making. Jesus is Savior, and he's inviting you in. Like I said, normally we'll close with a prayer, and today we are going to close a prayer, close with prayer, but I was, can you stand with me? We're going to read a prayer together. I'd just love for us to just pray the Lord's Prayer together. It'll be on the screen so you can pray it with me, and we're going to be united in this prayer as we close the sermon. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated.